With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption and logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. Before we start the episode, I want to take some time to thank the people that have reviewed this podcast. Ray1432 says, this is the podcast you've been waiting for. This podcast is my favorite new find. Sam, you have an amazing knack for storytelling and sound editing. Each episode tells an incredibly inspiring story. I can't wait for more. Mr. J. Light says, amazing in-depth interviews, 100% would recommend. This was an incredibly powerful couple of episodes that I had a chance to listen to. Really in-depth, and I like how they create an environment where the founders can release their golden nuggets of wisdom. Awesome stuff. Can't wait for the next episode. And we can't wait for your next review. So please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us grow and find new listeners. Thanks again for taking the time. And now, here's the episode. We didn't know the operating side well enough. We weren't handling neighbors right. We weren't handling the police right. We, you know, it was a bunch of things that got Hwood shut down. So the neighbors ended up calling the police. And rather than dealing with neighbors and police properly, I was kind of an arrogant kid and got in fights with the police. And they went to court and we had to go through a whole trial and shut us down. This is Finding Founders, a podcast showcasing the vibrant entrepreneurial spirit of Los Angeles and our journey to find the founders responsible. I'm Samuel Donner, and today on the show, we talked to John Terzian, the owner and co-founder of The Hwood Group, a Los Angeles hospitality and lifestyle company catered to curating some of the most iconic brands in the world. Ranging from upscale nightlife venues to groundbreaking new restaurants, Hwood Group runs 13 venues in Los Angeles, five others across the nation, and continues to broaden its reach every year. Within our artistic background and an innately creative personality. John puts incredible detail to every venue, concept, or event he works on. What really distinguishes him as an entrepreneur is his love for connecting with new people from different backgrounds, cultures, and careers. But to really understand John's success, one has to go back to his roots, right here in sunny Los Angeles. Growing up in the heart of Westwood, John indulged in many different passions, ranging from fine arts to sports. He was a versatile child with a curious spirit and an interest in connecting with people. You grew up here in L.A.? Yeah, I was a, a pretty crazy basketball fan, played tons of basketball, and I was an artist my whole life. Started painting and drawing when I was probably, I don't know, five at that time, he didn't exactly know the difference between mediums, even though I was painting and doing pencil and stuff. But, um, you know, I would draw on walls everywhere. I would draw everywhere. I remember I did a whole mural on the side of a wall of the, uh, of the rap group, the Loonies. Having a passion for art and creative endeavors, John developed into a very well-rounded student with an inquisitive personality. When it came to finding the right college, John made sure to give himself more than enough options. He got into the University of Michigan on an art scholarship, but there was something about USC's entrepreneurial school that intrigued him. So he decided to switch his major to communications and stay closer to home than he originally imagined. His passion for football followed him to USC, where he was invited to be a walk-on for the team. Yeah, I walked on the team. So there's scholarship players and then there's invited walk-ons. So they don't give you a scholarship, but they invite you to be on the team. 
So I was like a fifth string quarterback. But you know, everything I'm doing today was built off of that ironically because I never, while I was never gonna actually play or start, I got pretty well known for being great with like actual players and recruiting. And so they had me doing all the recruiting, which is where I really built a promotion company out of, uh, which turned into what I'm doing today. Right. Recruiting high school players. Yeah. When they, they come and visit you uh, on campus. And so usually players or people take them around. So I became like the go-to guy to like really turn it into a, an actual company at USC. And I would take over, you know, restaurants and places that needed needed that, help that basically, you know, to, yeah, were empty. And I would take a commission on the sales. And then I turned it into like bigger events. So thousand person type events. And I set up a formula where it was like, you know, four a month type of thing. It ended up becoming called 28th Street Entertainment. It was a great business. John has an innate ability to host people and show them a good time. And with his first professional hospitality business under his belt, John was excited to keep building on his entrepreneurial endeavors, specifically with regards to his aspirations of becoming a sports agent. With self-confidence and his natural charisma, John was able to score an internship with the legendary sports agent, Arn Tellum. had like three concussions even then it was pretty scary to keep playing and so I was never gonna like play in the NFL and Arn Tellum was like the biggest agent of all time then and my one thing that I always thought I wanted to be was a sports agent I wanted to be like with the best so Arn I kept applying to they wouldn't get back to me so I literally like I be ended up befriending like the secretary and I I would do different things like flowers and, sh and like all this stuff that was like borderline stalkery but not like i made sure that i wasn't like weird or annoying about it i just wanted them to know that i was like ready to go anytime they need it and they finally like first one was like i'm just just to stop you i'm giving you a free you know an internship all i wanted was an internship ended up working there for like six years they got i got really close with all of them it ended up working out really well i didn't want to be a sports agent though some of my best friends are sports agents, so not knocking them, but I, I, it's not for me. In a lot of ways, it's just not creative enough, even though there's some creative guys in it. And that's why entrepreneurial lifestyle is more for me because you, you get to you know really be creative. John was clearly setting himself up with a solid foundation for success with an internship, some entrepreneurial endeavors, and academic success at USC. But coming from a family of warriors, there was still the prospect of going to law school lurking in his mind. I didn't take time off. So that summer I was doing my parties, working for Arn. I had two jobs. I worked for Mike DeLuca too, the producer. If you had so much traction, why were you trying to go to law school? So I'm from a family of lawyers. My dad really didn't care if I did anything in life except made sure I had my law degree. And that always resonated with me because I didn't exactly know what I wanted to do. So yeah, I was making really good money doing the parties, but I knew I wasn't gonna be able to do that forever because what I'm doing today didn't really exist. You know, everyone talks about like Studio 54, like that wasn't like a thing that like you really knew about. It wasn't like some group to look up to that was doing like nightlife and restaurants and like, you know, it, was, it just didn't exist. So I didn't fully know what the party stuff could turn into. It seems like law school was a safety net because you didn't know what it could become. Did you feel like you had to follow some kind of established path? 
Yeah, I felt like I had to go. Yeah, but I also didn't know what I was going to do. I wasn't getting offered jobs. So it was really a scary time. And then I worked for you know a lot of these people for a long time. And even after law school, none of them gave me a job. It was absolutely crazy. Like I was mind blown by it. And then I didn't, probably applied to 60, 70 places, didn't get any jobs. John was struggling at this point. Unable to get a job, even after law school, and desperate for something to pay the bills, John started helping a friend, DJ AM, with a goal of opening a nightclub. If you were in the know with celebrities during the early 2000s, you would remember DJ AM for being the famous ex-boyfriend of actress and socialite Nicole Richie. But before he hit peak fame, John was his right-hand man helping him garner a following. So because I couldn't get a job, a friend of mine had a similar path to me. He's like, I'm managing a guy that I think is great. He was like, you know, you're creative, you're great. Why don't you come work with us? Um, I'd always been able to take crowds places and stuff. So I figured it was a good thing to do while I look for jobs. Ended up loving it in, in a short span. AM went from small time DJ to being the leader of kind of the first celebrity DJ, in my opinion. Right, yeah. Honestly, carried his backpack, carried his records, helped do his contracts, you know, didn't leave his side on tour. Saw every club in the country pretty much because I had to be by his side. And I ended up staying working for them for a couple of years and then right. building off that, broke away and opened Hwood. John also saw the other side of fame, the darker side, one riddled with drug abuse that ultimately killed DJ AM in 2009 after an accidental overdose. I had started Hwood when all of that started to go down, but we weren't talking as much then. We were texting a little bit and stuff, but um, he, he had lost touch with a lot of friends and gotten back to them, but, you know, it's life. At the end of the day, I think addiction is a serious disease that he had right. you know and it's sad and i've lived through several friends unfortunately that have had the same outcome the person never never wins while working with dj am on building the brand for his co-owned club lax john came into contact with a longtime friend and fellow usc graduate brian toll immediately after rekindling their friendship the two started sharing their entrepreneurial visions and goals coming out of a close entrepreneurial relationship with dj am john was ready to find a partner that would simultaneously push and support him to meet his goals and after realizing they were both intrigued by the hospitality industry he realized that brian would be the perfect person their newfound partnership would result in their first club stork knew each other well in USC. He had built a really big promotion company, like events, like masses. Brian was like buying house in the hills, like he was doing like crazy events. And so when I first opened the Stork, I went to him because I knew I was good at all the stuff that I knew about myself, creative and crowds, the right crowd and artistic and design and kind of all the above. But business-wise, I wanted to make sure it made money. And so I went to Brian. I said, why don't you leave what you're doing? He's like, why would I do that? <laughs> I like, make, I bought a house in the hill. Like, well, you're not going to be a promoter the rest of your life. Like, this is something that we, we could turn into a hotel. The whole goal was always to get to being our own hotel chain. Or my, that was my whole goal. He ended up investing a little in Stork. And then I convinced him full time to be 50-50 partners and, and start a hospitality company. I was at the time, you know, this is now six years of throwing events and parties and 
I love bringing people together. You know, I create kind of moments on a nightly basis is how I view it. So I take like a blank canvas and turn it into something, right? Yeah, it's, that's what I look at. You know, when I, whenever we go to a place, I just, I honestly just want a blank room. The hotel is the ultimate of that because that is where you eat, sleep, drink, socialize, like everything. I mean, hotels are very expensive to build. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you either are, you know, an investment banker or some, you know, some huge thing and you just go buy hotel chains or you create a brand strong enough to attract, you know, investors to go do your own. Start with a billion or you attract a billion. In many ways, Stork was ahead of his time, but it had internal issues that led to losing $2 million and closing down after only three months. Not only did this club shut down, but so did the other clubs. What John had failed to realize was the difference between promoting and operating venues. Promoters bring the people, and operators own the bar, hire the people, pay the rent, design the building, build the vibe, create the drinks, and basically everything else. Clearly, it's a whole different ballgame. scary because you don't you know you have no idea what you're doing but you, I really didn't know that I didn't know what I was doing none of us did so that's the interesting aspect of it but yeah you know where you go wrong is with employee hours with inventory waste with I mean, there's a million little things and that you have to really learn you know going into this I figured oh you just bring crowds well that's true. That's one part of it. That's a very hard part of it because we did. But then you also have to really know the operating side. We didn't know the operating side well enough. We weren't handling neighbors right. We weren't handling the police right. We, you know, there's a bunch of things that got Hwood shut down. The crowds that I bring brought a lot of paparazzi. That's when this is when like all that stuff really started getting like a big deal. And they camped out on lawns. So the neighbors ended up calling the police. And rather than dealing with neighbors and police properly, I was kind of an arrogant, brash kid and, and basically did nothing. Got in fights with the police and they went to court months and we had to go through a whole trial and shut us down. You know, that's when I had to move back with my parents back home. You know, I was angry with myself. I was angry with, you know, what happened. And, um, it was tough. Back at square one and refusing to let go of that dream of owning and operating the best nightclubs, John resorted to whatever job he could find. I would do like events and stuff to get, you know, commissions kind of on the side and I kept it as hidden as possible. You know, my partner Brian and I were fighting because of it and, and you know, we luckily stayed really together and he had a friend that had a place and he got us hired so we had some sort of income. And, you know, we really struggled for... I'd say a full year. I have a really strong will and vision. I will say that. And I don't think it's a foolish one because I always tell people, you want to be careful to not be aspirational to a fault. I'm not going to tell you guys I'm going to go be an astronaut right now. I can't will myself to go become an astronaut. My thing was I loved what I was doing. I think I was very good at what I was doing. I had something. It just wasn't the right stuff. I just had to like learn and tweak. I think that's where the will came from, and that's why I just didn't ever plan on doing anything other than what I had my mindset on, which was the nightclub world. It's the fastest to put together. It's the most creative in a short time. It appealed to the clients that I was around. At the time, my mindset was just building and owning the best nightclubs. I 
someone had talked to me then I probably would have sounded insane because I was like living with my parents. I was like talking about all these things that I was gonna do and build. Like it's it's actually insane. So to this day, when I when I hear a kid or a person talking about their film, they're gonna do with their music. You know, I I take a listen to because I was that. Where I think people go wrong is if they do those dreams for the wrong reasons, then I think they don't have that follow through, and then that's where you get labeled as like, oh, you're a pipe dreamer. I wasn't a pipe dreamer. I was putting the work in. You know, to this day, I outwork. Every employee here. I'm up at seven. I'm at the places till 2 a.m. every night. You could be smarter than me. You could be better than me. But you're never gonna outwork me. There's no chance. This will and determination to succeed, no matter the severity of the downfall, is what makes an entrepreneur an entrepreneur. Persistence is key because in the end, if you never stop trying, you always have the opportunity to succeed. John knew this, and despite having been slapped in the face and kicked to the curb numerous times, John has always managed to bounce right back. He uses these experiences as lessons, becoming wiser and stronger than before, and always ready to push and strike. I think where we did wrong with Hwood was it was biting off too much to chew for our first project. It was a two-story, like fourteen thousand square foot Burger King that we turned into this insane old brick restaurant nightclub lounge on our first venture. I, I mean, I hate to say it based on all the money my family lost and my friends did and stuff, but it was probably a huge blessing. Because I think if you start off with just extreme success, you never really learn. I don't know of a single entrepreneur friend of mine that has just been all successful. I really don't. And now I know why. I never knew. I always heard that in entrepreneur school and stuff. I never knew why, because you literally cannot be taught it. Anything I say, even good to hear, you have to live it. I'm not gonna lie. I still don't feel winning. <laughs> So you you become that scarred. With this knowledge, John gained the trust of an investor that would give him and Brian another crack at the nightclub scene. Here, John learned to apply his skills as an artist to design and convert a once small dilapidated bar to the rocket that would fly him and Brian to success. And the success of this bar can't solely be attributed to John. Brian and John would make the perfect duo. Wanting to understand how they continue to be such a powerful and brilliant set of entrepreneurs, we asked John to elaborate on their relationship. We could not be more opposite people. And I say that in a good way. I don't think two of the same people work. If I had the same person in this business, we would not be friends. We wouldn't be in this business because it just, you're stepping on each other's toes. You need people that are your complete counterpart. And so we are like the most opposite personality of all time. He's definitely not as social. He's not as creative. He doesn't care about any of that, but he's incredible business-wise and everything finance related he cares about. I think the other aspect that's great is at the very end of the day, we have a strong common denominator. We have the same morals, same ethics, same family life, like all the same beliefs. If you find people or partners that get into business, they have different lifestyles, meaning like one is a scumbag and the other is a good guy. <laughs> you know, like one is out, you know, partying and having, you know, drugs or whatever, and the other is normal, whatever. That wouldn't last. Might be different personality wise, but we have the same mindset of the business. 
John and Brian support each other, which has allowed John to establish a culture of concentration and strong work ethic with those around him. John recognizes that currently his company isn't just clubs. It's a hospitality group that builds and supports the community of the people that he serves. But it doesn't end there. In fact, John never sees an end. In John's world, there is no such thing as surrendering or a finish line. John continues to look forward, always ready with big plans for what lies next. I think H-Will Group is a preeminent hospitality group with owning and operating restaurants, nightclubs, bars, lounges, events, and catering. And I think we focus on the high-end luxury world. What does it look like in a generation? Because it seems like you're someone that thinks about this business on a generational level. I think it transcends hospitality. My vision for H-Wood is in media, content, film, TV, in kind of all aspects of entertainment, not just not just a four walls place. We focus so much on people and the customer and talent that I think that we have some pretty cool things that we can do, not just in hospitality. And finally, we asked John what advice he had for you guys, the people listening to this podcast. The number one thing that I'll never waver on for an entrepreneur is life is a yo-yo. It's a really up and down thing. You cannot get too high with the high or low with the lows. If you are not maintaining and you don't stay consistent, you won't last. For any entrepreneur, success requires persistence through whatever challenges are thrown your way. But something special about John is he is constantly looking forward, reaching for his ever-rising goals. John makes sure to prioritize his values and the integrity in his work and recognizes the importance of having the right motives. John cares deeply about others, and that is something that is hard to come by in the entrepreneurial world. And on top of all this, he continues to abide by these morals even when he is going through the rapidly changing ups and downs of entrepreneurship, or as he would call it, the entrepreneurial yo-yo. His presence in H-Wood and in upscale nightlife venues has inspired many, making his visions and ideas the foundation for those that have followed suit. He truly has started something from nothing, and I can't wait to see what he comes up with next. This has been another episode that has been super fun to put together, and I'd like to once again thank the Finding Founders team and see what their favorite part of the episode was. Hi, my name is Adrian Tapia, and I was the lead producer for this episode. And my favorite part was just learning about John's persistence and his will just to never give up. I'm Charlotte Isidore, and I helped edit and work on the script for this podcast. And my favorite part was when he talked about having a legacy. My name is Dharma Shah. I helped with editing. And my favorite part was when John talks about how to find a gap in the market. My name is Sahaj. I edited some of the podcast. And my favorite part was hearing how John turned his failures into success. Hey, guys, I'm Maddie, and I helped edit this podcast. I love learning about how John found a way to bring his passion for connecting with people into his brief career in college football. Hi, I'm Elizabeth Bowen, and I helped edit the audio in the script for this episode. And one of my favorite things from the episode was hearing how John's interest in art, although he decided to become an entrepreneur, still played into his success in his career. Hey, my name is Luke Riggin, and I edited part of this episode. 